Well, good morning. I think we're fitting okay, yeah? <laughs> um, as we do each week, um, we're going to continue in this morning as we come to the Lord and worship. I would encourage all of you to just take a few moments, uh, depending on how the wrestling of your morning or your week has been, um, we are coming to Christ, we're coming to the living God for worship uh, with expectation uh, for Him to do a work in us by his word through our worship and through our obedience to him. Um, let's take a moment, pray for the things uh, that are distracting from a holy worship to the living God and expect him to do the work in you as you prepare for the worship of God. So let's pray together as a congregation, prepare our hearts as we approach the throne of God. Amen. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3 reads, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. We're going to pray together and confess our sins. Almighty God, do not allow Your holy glory to be abused on account of our sins. For we have sinned against You in many ways because we do not obey Your eternal Word. And by ingratitude and impatience, we daily provoke your wrath against us. Therefore, you justly discipline us. But, O oh God, remember your holy mercy and have compassion on us. Grant us knowledge of our sins and true repentance. Establish and strengthen the ministers and magistrates of your people so that they might faithfully and confidently preach your word and lawfully and justly use the sword of the state. Defend us from all deceit and treachery. Scatter all evil and destructive counsels which plot against your word and church. O oh God, do not deprive us of your spirit and word, but bestow on us true faith patience, and perseverance. Come to the aid of your church and deliver it from violence, delusion, and tyranny. Also, strengthen all fearful and afflicted minds and send us your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now I'd encourage all of you to pray as the Spirit illuminates in your heart Anywhere that you need to confess sin, you can do so vocally or silently. So let's pray together for forgiveness of our sins.
Romans 12, 1 through 8. Stand for the reading of the word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, we will receive the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God is from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. I'm going to pray if you guys would be seated for the preparation of the exposition of God's Word. Lord, we uh, are here to worship you in spirit and truth. We need you to guide us into this worship and for us 
to desire to worship you how you want to be worshipped. Lord, we've come to the, the time in our gathering where we're going to exalt your name through your word, which is doing a supernatural work in us its hearers as it is proclaimed. We don't just hear simple words of communication. We are hearing the words of the living God. You send your word forth and it does not come back to you void. Lord, we believe this promise. We believe this truth as we come to you. Uh, we ask for you to give us ears to hear because without your work in us, we are deaf and mute. There is nothing good in us that pleases you apart from your rescuing us and placing your spirit in us and transforming our deadness to life everlasting. Lord, we love you and count on you for our salvation, our sanctification, and our glorification. Bless everyone gathered here today. Bless us in worship as we sing, as we confess, as we hope upon you. This world is broken. The struggles of our day are great. But you are so much greater. And we can have a, a comfort in knowing we are living, a, living and worshiping a sovereign and holy God. A God who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. And desires that we be strengthened by who you are and by what you do in us. Encourage our hearts, stir us to good works, Lord. And take the burdens from us that, that would want our minds to not be oriented towards you. You deserve all the praise and all the glory that this cre creation has to give. Exalt your name. Bless your word it is proclaimed. And transform our hearts as we listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. A little different uh, preaching in socks today, but <laughs> thankful for God's provision uh, in, in uh, the Duffies allowing us to use their home for this. Lord willing, we'll be back at uh, the Beaver Bay Community uh, Center next week if we're in their, their good graces anyway. <laughs> we'll trust God on that. So today, uh, we are continuing in, uh, on with the spiritual blessings that are presently ours in Christ, those who are in Christ. The key phrase in this uplifting and encouraging part of this letter to the Ephesians for the believer. So if you could turn to Ephesians 1, if you have your Bibles... 
Now the four main broader headline in him texts that we've been looking at throughout uh, the weeks uh, with me in this pulpit thus far include how the Father has blessed us. He has blessed us in Christ, verse 3. Uh, how he chose us in him, verse 4. How he adopted us in the beloved, verses 5 through 6. And last week we looked at how in him we have redemption through his blood. That is verse 7. That is how in Christ we, by God's mercy and grace through faith, have been purchased out of slavery to sin and the law by the atoning blood of Christ reconciling us to God. We first looked at the result of God redeem, redeeming us through His blood. The result. It meant, quote, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Verse 7. If God sanctified you, if He has sanctified you, set you apart, if you have redemption through His blood or have been purchased out of slavery from sin and the law, it means you have been forgiven your trespasses, your sins. We next looked at the means of God redeeming us through His blood. What was the means? That is, just as He opened up the heart of Lydia in Acts to, quote, pay attention to what was said by Paul, as in Acts 16, 14 to 15, the Father, quote, in all wisdom and insight made known to his children the mystery of his will, unquote, the mystery of his will which he set forth in Christ. Verse 9. The means of God redeeming us, opening up our eyes, revealing the mystery of His will, which He set forth in Christ. Jesus, who in the big picture is the, quote, mystery of the Father's will revealed. The one casting that shadow in old covenant ceremonial laws of whom and which it all pointed to. But on a smaller scale, it pertains to the mystery, quote, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, which we're going to look at later in Ephesians 3. We finally looked at the purpose of the Father, redeeming us through the blood of Christ, which was, quote, to unite all things in Him. Or as another translation states, to reconcile everything in Him, quote, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 10. 
how Christ is at present right now, reconciling men, including us Gentiles, to God who were, quote, alien and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Colossians 1, 21 to 23a, as we were also at one time. How he is right now building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Matthew 16, 18. That Jesus, who is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him, Matthew 28, is not waiting for the enemy to have his church under his feet. Rather, Jesus must, present tense, rule and reign until his enemies are under his feet. Hebrews 10, 12 to 13. Christ is not a victim of this age. He is victor. Despite what our eyes may see, with the state of the church in America and the judgment that we are under as a result right now. Jesus is still building his church. To what end? As Isaiah 2, 2-5 states, quote, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Unquote. For out of Zion, Isaiah continues, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is a state of peace in our world. And such is the fruit of his purpose to... Quote, unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, verse 10. Though this is yet future, the small mustard seed of his kingdom has not yet grown to the point of the great tree. By which, quote, the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches, Matthew 13, 32. Though this is yet future, by means of, quote, redemption through his blood, we can, by faith, trust Christ now in being with us in this endeavor to obey him in his plan to grow his kingdom for such ends as stated. By means of the Great Commission that he has commanded of us. 
to go and, quote, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he commanded us, has commanded us. And behold, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. As he says at the end of Matthew 28. That's his command for us. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 11 to 12. And we're going to be looking at the fifth main in him text of Ephesians 1. Let's read Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 states this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ, quote, we have obtained an inheritance. Again, the hub of which three points rests on. A similar pattern, pattern to the preceding blessings in Christ that we looked at the last few weeks, which include, one, in God the Father having predestined that we should obtain this inheritance, verse 11b. According to what means? According to his purpose, 11c. And for what reason? Number three, ultimately, it is for his glory. To begin with the first part of verse 11, you know, we must not be tempted to gloss unthoughtfully over the phrase, in him. We've heard that phrase quite a few times, haven't we, throughout the weeks? In him, in him, right? But we must not gloss over that unthoughtfully. Though we've touched on it several times, as the passages we have looked at demand us to, we must not grow weary of this. The Holy Spirit, through the hand of Paul, could have left that phrase out and say something on the lines of, beginning with verse 11, we also have obtained an inheritance. But he didn't, and so, must, and so we must not either. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, begins the verse with, in him. We have obtained an inheritance. As if he doesn't want us to get off track in understanding the centrality of Christ and all that he has for brothers and sisters in him. The blessing, the choosing, the adopting, the redeeming, and now the inheriting are all contingent on being in him. If one is not in him, in Christ, your lot is rather the opposite. 
That is, there is no blessing for you, but rather a cursing. Your lot is not in being chosen, but in being rejected. Rather than being adopted, you are left as, an orf- as orphans with no father. Rather than being redeemed, you're left enslaved to sin and the law with an inheritance of death and destruction in hell forever. And God would be absolutely just in allowing that to be the end of every single one of us. All of us who have sinned against Him. But solely because of His grace, it will not be for those whom He calls. For those whom the Father gives to the Son. Of He, of whom He will by no means cast out. As John 6.37 says, He will not lose you. Now, in Him, that is in Christ, if you are indeed truly His, past tense, have obtained an inheritance. If you are in Him, you have obtained an inheritance. Verse 11. This is another common theme in this portions of Ephesians 1. In that this is another event that is verbalized as something that has already taken place. Another already and not yet blessing that is presently ours but of which we have yet to fully experience in the age to come. Why do I say that? Because of verse 13b through 14, which we'll look at next time, Lord willing, which states that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So, in one sense, the inheritance is ours for the believer. The inheritance is ours. And in another sense, we have yet to acquire possession of it. And this isn't hard to grasp, seeing as we can be the recipient of an earthly inheritance, can't we? on paper, stating that the inheritance is presently ours, but of which is not yet ours in the fullest sense of the term. That is, the inheritance is not physically in our possession at the moment. But what is the inheritance exactly? The Greek term for, quote, obtain an inheritance is one word, klero. In the Greek, obtain an inheritance in the Greek is one word and it's klero, of which is derived from the Greek term 
kleronomia, or just plain inheritance in verse 14, which is, quote, a transfer of property or possessions from one generation to another, usually within a family or clan, and usually upon the death of the owner. This word often has an implication of a legitimate historic right to the objects inherited. In some contexts, this refers to salvation, an inheritance shared with Jesus Christ, the true heir, unquote. That's from Strong's. Now, most certainly the context here is referring to salvation. But there are three tenses to salvation that we should be aware of at this point. If you are in Christ now, you were or are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. This is called justification. When we were or are declared righteous, freed from the guilt of sin. If you are in Christ now, you are being saved by God working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure, conforming us presently to the image of His Son. This is called sanctification, freed from the power of sin over our lives. If you are in Christ now, you will be saved in that there is a coming day when, where we will be like Him in glory, seeing Him as He is. This is called glorification when we are finally freed from the presence of sin. And this last salvation is what Paul has in mind, that being our glorification which is presently ours but of which we have yet to acquire possession of it. Verse 14. Which brings us to our first point. The Father predestined the saints' inheritance. Let's read Ephesians 1.11a. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. As we looked at in Ephesians 1.5 a few weeks back in that our adoption was predestined by God, this is the same word in verse 11, which again is defined as determined beforehand. The inheritance is presently the saints. The, the inheritance that is presently the saints was determined beforehand, like Jacob being chosen over Esau before they had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might continue or stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. As we looked at in Romans 9, 11 last time, in the same way, our inheritance was determined beforehand. 
Now, this doctrine rubs many people the wrong way. And the meaning is often twisted or ignored because men are prone to rather glory in themselves and what they do at the cost, unfortunately, of adding or taking from the Word of God. Like Satan in the Garden of Eden, that quote-unquote ancient foe or quote-unquote prince of darkness grim, as Luther put it in the, in the mighty fortress, Undisciplined men in the scriptures or those that don't adhere to sola scriptura or scripture alone as the ultimate authority of truth are rather prone to follow Satan in questioning, did God really say? The objection that dominates these minds, these men's minds are something on the lines of God would never create men who knows he, whom he knows are going to go to hell. That's usually their objection. Now, in Titus 1.9, Paul is in the middle of a list of qualifications for elders. Stating an elder, quote, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And I would say that these folks who are objecting to God knowingly creating men he knows are going to go to hell are not only contradicting sound doctrine, but they are also contradicting their own doctrine. For these are usually the same folks that believe God looks down the corridor of time and sees those who will choose Him of their own free will and those are the ones whom God predestines. But if God is all-knowing and they would consent to that, if God is all-knowing, they are still left with a God who is knowingly creating men He knows are going to hell. That is, those whom He knows will not choose Him of their own free will. The very doctrine that they are objecting to are, the same, are at the same time knowingly acknowledging it just in a poor way that doesn't agree with the whole counsel of God or the context of Scripture. All this to say, friends, if your hope is truly in you, in what you have done or are doing to be justified? That is to say, you are holding on to this doctrine tooth and nail, not just a baby Christian who is growing in the knowledge of Christ, who needs to repent of such poor doctrine or move from milk to meat. You should have 
great reason to fear and not boast. If your hope is in Christ alone and what He has done in Christ who lived a life of righteousness in your stead, who bore God's wrath for your sin on the cross, who died and was buried, then on the third day rose again from the grave, defeating death, that you may be justified by faith in His name, who is now seated at the right hand of God who, and who must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. This ought to bring great comfort, great comfort to the Christian and for those under the heavy weight of sin right now. He has accomplished all of it in your stead if you are indeed His, and He will by no means cast you out. As John 6.37 says again. That is not to say, however, that we don't receive Christ. But as it says in John 1.12-13, that the children who receive Christ are not those who are born again by the will of the flesh but those who are born of God by His sovereign decree at the time of His choosing. Those born of God are the children who will receive Christ. If He is bidding you to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, come! Receive Christ and find rest. Which brings us to our second point. By what means has God predestined our inheritance? By what means has God predestined our inheritance? Let's read Ephesians 1.11 just in full for context. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Whoops. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He predestined our inheritance according to His purpose. His purpose. Now it follows that if God predestined our inheritance, that He most certainly purposed it. For there is none greater than he to tell him otherwise. If God purposed something to come to pass, it will come to pass. And now most would not object to this. Prophecy as foretold in Scripture is one of many obvious testimonies to this that most, if not all, genuine Christians would point to in giving, quote, a reason of the hope that is in them with gentleness and respect, as 1 Peter 3.15 would say. But where some do trip up is that some have the idea that God has His arena of influence 
and we have our arena of influence that can't be touched by God unless we give him permission. This doctrine honestly was making me nauseous just thinking about it. Friends, have you not read Scripture? He predestined our inheritance, quote, according to the purpose of Him who works all things, not just the inheritance of the saints, but all things according to the purpose of His will. This is God's world, not yours. You cannot escape His world. What He has purposed for His creation since the beginning of time, including His purpose for you, will come to pass and there is nothing you can do to stop it. Just like God purposing to use me as his ambassador for Christ, as though God were beseeching you through me right now to be reconciled to God, this pleading with you is either working ultimately to store up wrath for you on the day of judgment in your rejection of such a message, fattening you up for the day of slaughter that he has purposed for you as a, quote, vessel for wrath prepared for destruction. Or it is working ultimately to bring you to repentance and faith in Christ as a, quote, vessel of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, as Romans 9 states. I don't know what His ultimate will is for you. And that's not for me to know. We are to just be faithful with what God calls us to do through faith in Christ and leave the results up to Him. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 planted the seed. Apollos watered, quote, but God gave the growth or the increase. What God does is out of our hands. Who will instruct God on making things grow? But I do know that whether one is a vessel for wrath or a vessel for mercy, God will be glorified either way. Which brings us to our final and brief point. For what reason have we obtained an inheritance, an inheritance. Let's read Ephesians 1.12, and it states this. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Reason, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. The reason is for bringing praise to His glory. We who are in Christ, who have obtained an inheritance, beginning with Paul and the early church, 
have obtained an inheritance that we might bring praise to His glory. There are many in sin who will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in response to His glory. But to the saints redeemed who have obtained an inheritance solely by God's grace, they will bring much praise to His glory. And if you are in Christ, even while dwelling amongst a people of unclean lips in the sinful world, even with ourselves being men of unclean lips with indwelling sin, as Isaiah reminds us in uh, 6.5, we do know something of this praise to His glory. We do know something of that in His redeeming grace, in saving us. We won't know it in full till we are glorified, but we know something of this in part. As 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see only, in a, ref- only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just give you thanks, Lord, for your word and just encouraging us. Um, It's just filled with building up and and reminding and uh, exhorting and uh, as we grow, as we live in this sinful world, Lord God, all that you've done for us, all the promises that are ours in you and We just thank you and praise you, God. Help us to, as always, Father, to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you, that we might find encouragement in times of difficulty, which are sure to come, especially for those who desire to live godly in Christ. As your word says, God, we're going to face persecution. So I just pray, Father, that uh, we might feed upon this, that we might meditate upon this, that we might, with the rest of the day, Father, as this is the Lord's day and not our day, but your day, Father, that we might honor you, not just here, but throughout today especially, and throughout the week as well, uh, Lord, in uh, being salt and light to this dying world around us. Help us to be used of you, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to uh, now come to give as the Lord has given us. You're invited to come forward and worship through giving. The box is up here through offering. Uh, If you want to give secretly as we do as well, you're uh, welcome to do that. Um, feel free as we sing praises as we are worshiping through uh, our offering uh, that you can also come forward um, as you desire.
So, if you would, rise as we sing, holy, holy, holy. Beloved in the Lord, as we come to the Holy Supper of our Lord and Savior, it is fitting that we consider to what end our Lord has instituted it. 
This do, he said, in remembrance of me. Church, will you fix your eyes on Jesus as we sit to eat this meal with him? We are therefore to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made in the Old Testament, was sent of the Father into the world, that He assumed our flesh and blood, that He bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished everlasting. Church, do you confess that Jesus became a curse for you to redeem you from the curse of the law? We do. That He fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law. That He, although innocent, was condemned to death so that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God that he took upon himself the curse due to us so that he might fill us with his blessing, that he humbled himself unto death, even the bitter and shameful death of the cross, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we might be accepted of God, and never forsaken of Him. And finally, that He confirmed with the shedding of His blood the new and eternal covenant and reconciliation when He said, It is finished. In Luke 22, we read, And He took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We are therefore to believe these promises which Jesus Christ, who is the truth, has himself given to us. It is His will that we be partakers of His body and blood and share in all His benefits. So that He may dwell in us and us in Him. We may not doubt that He will perform in our hearts and lives all that these outward signs signify and that he who is the true heavenly bread will nourish and strengthen us to eternal life. For in this supper we share in the infinite goodness of our Savior and are made partakers 
of all his blessings of life eternal, righteousness, and glory. Church, do you believe in Christ alone as the final propitiation for your sins to be received by faith? But in this supper of remembrance and communion with Christ, we must also lift up our hearts in hope. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, he gives us a pledge and foretaste of that feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. Under the veil of earthly things, we now have communion with him in his established kingdom as God works to put all his enemies as a footstool under his feet. With unveiled face, we will behold him rejoicing in his glory, being made like him in his glory. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Church, will you commit to live your life worthy of the gospel, one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel? As by his death, resurrection, and ascension, he has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who dwelling in him as the head and in us as his members unites us all in one body. So we are to receive this supper in brotherly love, mindful of the communion of saints. As the Holy Apostle says, We, being many, are one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Here to assist us, the Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, church, we are exhorted to examine ourselves before we partake of the bread and the cup at this table. We are to test ourselves to see if the Lord Jesus is in us. The primary purpose is to assure ourselves that we belong to Christ. The simplest way we do this is by weighing the proclamation and exhortation of God's word through our hearing and being able to measure the fruit of the Spirit in our lives by doing the word. Be doers of the word. If we test ourselves and we see that we are both hearers and doers, we invite you to come forward and partake with us at this glorious meal. And at this time, I'm going to bless our meal and ask the representatives of each family to come forward and get some of the bread and wine. I love
<clears throat> Recite with me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless.